the Swiss financial services company UBS has admitted that a rogue trader has run up a loss of $2 billion in unauthorized risky trades. The 31-year-old trader Kweku Adoboli, who worked in the bank's exchange traded funds desk, was arrested at his apartment and today charged with fraud. UBS suffered similar losses to other banks in 2008 from risky property, manage- property trading and subprime and other mortgage investments. The bank claimed that new risk management practices were put in place to avoid another crisis. However, the $2 billion loss this week raises the question whether the problem is a rogue trader or the bank itself. UBS is the same bank that in 2009 was forced to disclose the names of 52,000 of its American customers to the U.S. government, which claimed that the bank was helping to evade taxes through its offshore accounts. In a new Rolling Stone article, acclaimed author Matt Taibbi takes issue with the characterization of a rogue trader as a reason for this latest crisis. In it, he discusses the disastrous marriage of commercial banking to speculators. The Glass-Steagall Act in the 1930s introduced banking reforms that placed restrictions on financial speculation. But Taibbi reminds us that a 1998 act passed during the Clinton administration repealed part of the Glass-Steagall Act. In his opinion, the term rogue is applied to cover up for the fact that situations like the $2 billion loss at UBS are indicative of a system-wide problem. According to to Taibi, quote, rogue traders are treated like bad accidents, but rogue companies are protected at every level of the regulatory structure and continually empowered by deregulatory legislation, giving them access to our bank accounts. Matt Taibi is contributing editor at Rolling Stone magazine, author of The Great Derangement, Spanking the Donkey, and Smells Like Dead Elephants. His latest book is Griftopia, Bubble Machines, Vampire Squids, and the Long Calm That Is Breaking America. He now joins me on the phone. Welcome to Uprising. Matt. How are you doing? Doing very well. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, for those of us who don't uh, keep track of what financial uh, investors and speculators do, can you explain what exactly speculation is as it's applied to the financial industry? Well, I think in, a, in the broadest possible sense, a speculative investment is one where you, you know, it's just really just like gambling. You're, you are investing in a company uh, and you're, or you're buying a stock or uh, a bond, uh, and in the expectation that its value is going to raise uh, over a period of time, and that you'll make money uh, on the difference in value between your, you know, the current purchase and the later purchase, and that's that's really what investment bankers, uh, among the services that they they do, is that you know they have proprietary trading, and they also invest on behalf of clients. Uh, and they're trying to to make those good bets and and secure those profits that way. So they can speculate on industries that they know nothing about and have nothing to do with. Well, sometimes yes. I mean, sometimes they're speculating on on you know industries that they do know something about. Sometimes they're sometimes they're betting on inside information. Sometimes they're uh, you know trying to have what they call I know arbitrage opportunities where they're. Uh, they're trying to buy at one price, knowing that they're going to have a lower price somewhere else in the world, uh, where they can sell and make a profit instantly. Um, you know, there's many different ways that that the investment banks make money, uh, but you know, speculation is is a big part of what they do. And you know, they, you know, the, the key point that I was trying to make is that investment banking is is sort of by nature uh, a risky activity. I mean, you're 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 buying. Uh, assets in the hope that their values rise, and you never can really be sure that that's going to happen. Whereas commercial banking 
is supposed to be a very boring business, looking for the very safest investments you can make, and the premium is really on safety as opposed to a big return. And so in this particular instance, uh, UBS is claiming that it was this particular person, a rogue trader, uh, who who was responsible for losing $2 billion of investors' money. Uh, why do you take issue with that? Why is it not, uh, you know, why can't they place the blame on this one individual? Well, they can. I think in this instance, they they can they can definitely do that, and it's it's probably is true that this one individual in this one case uh, is is probably guilty of of causing them this enormous loss. But you have to look at it in in the larger sense. Uh, you know, any company that had real effective internal controls, real quality control, and and good audit procedures would never let one 31-year-old trader caused them a $2 billion loss, uh, you know, it, it would never happen that way. But the reality of, the, of modern Wall Street and the modern financial services industry is that there are no effective internal quality controls. I mean, I've, since, in just in the last three years, I've probably interviewed two or three dozen people uh, who've worked at various big banks and Wall Street financial companies who, who describe to me uh, sort of the routine of these companies is that, you know, internal audits are, are just ignored, uh, you know, as a matter of, of ordinary business practice. Uh, in, in, the, in, in the effort to, to get huger and huger profits every year, uh, they constantly overlook uh, internal valuations of, of suspect assets and suspect properties. Uh, they're constantly avoiding risk controls uh, because that's what these guys do. They're trying to make their numbers any way they can, and they they overlook uh, you know all the safety procedures that that are designed to prevent losses. And so, when you have this um, this practice of investment banking being done by commercial banks, you're just you know the, the gambling is being done with the hard earned money of of people who simply have the bank accounts in those banks. Yes, and and you know even more to the point, uh, they're they're putting you know the entire U.S. government at risk in our case because we federally insure all commercial bank deposits. I mean that's that's the really dangerous part that people don't understand. I mean look at what happened in 2008. You had all these these uh, you know famous storied Wall Street companies that had existed for you know in some cases more than a century and a half. You know companies like Merrill Lynch and Bear Stearns and uh, you know, Goldman Sachs and, and Citigroup, and they all got in terrible, terrible trouble investing uh, in very, very risky subprime, uh, you know, mortgage-backed securities. Uh, and, you know, if they imperiled the entire financial system. And, you, you, you know, you look at these companies now, and some of them are merged with major commercial banks. I mean, Bear Stearns was acquired by J.P. Morgan Chase. You know, I have a Chase bank account personally. If if uh, if their investment banking activities caused the the bank to incur massive losses again, uh, then you know my my bank account could be at risk, and then by by extension the taxpayer can be at risk because he's insuring my bank account. It's a terrible situation to be in. I'm speaking with Matt Taibbi about his latest article in Rolling Stone magazine uh, discussing UBS Bank, which is in the news for losing $2 billion in unauthorized risky trades by what they're calling a rogue trader. Matt says that the bank itself needs to be considered rogue. So if the uh, is it enough to just separate investment banking from commercial banking? Uh, 
or, or can regulations do the trick to just simply regulate that those banks that are engaged in both practices have to do it with, uh, with some very strict policies in place? Yeah, I think that they have to be separated. There's there's this whole movement afoot in Europe right now to, to do what they call ring fencing, which is to separate uh, investment banks from commercial banks. Um, we we had a similar, you know, but much smaller movement that uh, was afoot uh, last year and the year before in the run up to the Dodd Frank uh, financial reform legisla- legislation, where a number of members of Congress tried to tried to separate commercial banks and investment banks. They failed, and but I, I, you know, I don't think we can really protect ourselves unless those two uh, industries are separate. Um, just because investment bankers, they they are not interested in client services. That's not what they do. They're they're not trying to, you know, protect customers, and that's not how they compete in the marketplace. They compete by making bigger and riskier and splashier and more bold bets, and they just don't have any any sense at all of how to how to handle uh, customers. And I, I think it's very, very dangerous when you have people who are professional gamblers in charge of, of bank accounts and consumer credit accounts and, and mortgages and all those things that are supposed to be boring, safe businesses. UBS is a Swiss bank, but uh, what has this week's news revealed about uh, what American banks could uh, could be doing, the kind of traps that American banks could fall into? Are many American banks engaged in the similar uh, practices as UBS, and could we see something similar happen in the future here? Oh, uh, absolutely, we could see something similar. I mean, I, actually, when I, when I read this news, I was actually in, in, uh, in, in the first floor of the SEC's offices here in, uh, in Manhattan because I was escorting a whistleblower uh, to their office to make register a complaint, and this was somebody who worked at a major American commercial bank who saw um, a very similar failures of quality control and internal audits uh, at that major American and commercial bank. And so, um, you know, the kinds of things that this person was describing to me uh, suggest that, this, that what happened at UBS could easily happen at any of a dozen uh, major American commercial banks. And, and what you have to remember is that, you know, if, if the, the systems are bad enough, it's not going to be just one trader who's losing $2 billion. It's going to be the whole bank going under, and then we're going to be looking at a trillion-dollar loss instead of a couple of billion dollars. And that's when you get something like 2008, when Lehman Brothers went under, and, and that's what's so dangerous. So who is supposed to oversee, then, these kinds of uh, issues? If the Glass-Steagall Act was watered down during the Clinton administration with the Graham-Leach-Bliley uh, Act that you've written about, uh, is there, you know, there must be some uh, protection in place, some government oversight, right? No, not really. I mean, that, that's really the tragic and terrifying thing about this this whole issue is that you know what we've seen in the last couple of years is a completely total failure of the regulatory system. You know the the, the SEC has pr- proven to be totally ineffective at regulating uh, the financial markets. The, the the traditional banking regulators like the OCC and the uh, the OTS uh, and the Fed, uh, you know they went from a situation like during the 80s when they put. Uh, you know, there were thousands of people who went to jail for the, the savings and loan crisis, and there were massive reforms inf- implemented to 2008, where there was almost no regulatory reaction uh, in any serious way to a much, much more serious crisis. 
uh, and you have that problem. And then on the market side, you know, the ratings agencies have completely been bought off by the banks. So, uh, you know, instead of having a situation where, um, you know, capitalism would work and, and companies would be punished for not having good internal controls, and then we get bad credit ratings. We're not even seeing that now. We're not even seeing the market reacting at the way it should should work. So we have a completely corrupted system where nobody's really watching out to make sure that these things don't happen. And this is coming so soon after such a major crisis that you would have thought would have uh, brought on some attempt at regulation. Is it simply congressional gridlock that has prevented uh, anything from being done? I think it's a number of factors, but I think the, the most important problem is that most of the people in Washington don't understand how uh, a lot of these uh, sophisticated new uh, financial innovations work, and they so they don't understand the the dangers. Uh, that you haven't sent them in, all in, copies of your own book. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Maybe, or you know, at least at least somebody's book. I mean, I, I think you know we have. For instance, a situation where derivatives, which apparently this, this UBS trader was involved in derivatives chain, uh, trades with foreign exchange uh, uh, derivatives, um, so those are completely unregulated. There is literally no regulation of, of derivatives uh, right now. And uh, most uh, members of Congress and in the Senate uh, don't really understand how things like credit default swaps and interest rate swaps, they don't know how they work. Uh, and so they don't understand how dangerous they can be. And I think that's really the major problem. I think, you know, after 2008, Wall Street really basically said to Washington that this was a big accident. It was like a thousand-year flood. It'll never happen again. Whereas the reality is this was an inevitable consequence of, of, of a lot of really risky activity wedded to a total absence of regulation. Well, Matt Taibbi, I want to thank you, as always, for joining us. We'll link to your article in Rolling Stone about the UBS issue. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. Matt Taibbi is a contributing editor of Rolling Stone magazine. His latest book is Griftopia, Bubble Machines, Vampire Squids, and the Long Con That is Breaking America. We had interviewed him about that book, and you can just search for that interview on uprisingradio.org. And you can read his article about UBS at rollingstone.com or just check our website later today.